It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hello, welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. We're going for a three-person podcast today. It's an auspicious episode. It's number 100, if you don't count the bonus episodes, which... Yay! Applause. Happy 100. There's one of our folks. It's Brian. He's back. Brian is back. Yep, it's me. Make me think of the Beach Boys every time I say that, but that's cool. <laughs> Beach Boys love you. I'm very strange. One another regular, also in for number one hundred from the Mission Log, the Orville Podcast. Mike Richards is back. Howdy, howdy, Matt. Hey, BC. Good to be here. And uh, yeah, quite a uh, quite an honor, quite a thrill for me when I looked up this episode to start my research. I was like number one hundred, written by. I'll let you cover that. Named after a poem by somebody else near and dear to my heart as a Long Islander. So, yeah, glad to be here and looking forward to diving, uh, delving, diving, and exploring this episode. Well, yeah, we're getting right at the end of season three. And because, Mike, you pointed this one out when I started season three like 87 years ago, right? Like, well, recently, <laughs> like, When's the Bradbury coming? When's the Bradbury coming? He don't want Cavendary. He wants to see you for the Bradbury. And I was like, well, 100, let's bring everybody in. Let's do it. So, I think we kind of double booked because I was probably saying the same thing to you. <laughs> it's like, what's the Bradbury episode coming? <laughs> oh no, no, we all, uh, we did it, and then last week I was like, that's when Mike, that's Mike, when you got the uh, the emails, like, wait a minute, Mike want to do it too? Let's just let's just triple up, triple header. Sure, why not? Different thing. One big. Yeah, and this this way we'll make sure that uh, BC and my uh, IMDb page are completely identical. So we'll just we'll just do the same things from here on out, and uh, they'll just stay the same. <laughs> yeah, the scorecard steady. Uh, I will go ahead and trivia this one up uh, as you were uh, intimating a bit. Original air date was May eighteenth, nineteen sixty-two. Script is by Ray Bradbury. Anyone who has read any science fiction literature knows him from classics such as Fahrenheit four fifty-one, The Martian Chronicles, and The Illustrated Man. Interestingly, he contributed several scripts to the Twilight Zone, but this was the only one produced. But if you want to get a stronger taste of that Bradbury flavor, the Ray Bradbury Theater was an 80s vintage anthology show in the Twilight Zone mold that is in the long distance crosshairs of this podcast. On my, my shelf here is sitting the Ray Bradbury Theater, Tales from the Dark Side, and Night Gallery. So if anyone's wondering where this goes when we run out of uh, <laughs> Twilight Zone. And more uh, Twilight Zone, right? <laughs> oh, there's yeah, we got we got the Peel, we got the 80s. Uh, the Forest Whitaker one, I haven't think is on YouTube. I'm, not, I'm having trouble tracking that one down, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> I yeah. think it's out there. It's out it's there out somewhere. There. It's out there somewhere. It's just it's not as easy to find as the other ones. But uh, where was I? Oh, yes, trivia. This episode has a dual directing credit. James Sheldon and William F. Claxton were both regulars in the zone, as well as workhorse directors for 60s television. 
Robo Grandma was played by Josephine Hutchinson. She had some major film appearances as the leading lady of 1939's Son of Frankenstein and as the fake Mrs. Townsend in North by Northwest. Weirdly, she was also the real Mrs. Townsend for 35 years with her second husband, James F. Townsend. So I found that as a weird little bit of irony. David White played Mr. Rogers. If he seems a touch familiar, it may be because you've already seen him in The Twilight Zone's A World of Difference. That or his role as Darren Stevens' boss, Larry Tate, on Bewitched. Yep, I got, I got the point, the once a time, time in America point from Mike. <laughs> yeah, all gray hairs are nodding at Bewitched. Yeah, we remember. <laughs> the salesman was Vaughn Taylor. He appeared in plenty of anthology shows such as Craft Television Theater and Robert Montgomery Presents, as well as in films such as Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and Psycho. We've already seen him in The Zone in Still Valley and Time Enough at Last, and he will appear in two more episodes. While most of the child actors in this have few other credits, we do have to note that 13-year-old Annie was played by Veronica Cartwright. As a child, she also appeared in Hitchcock's The Birds, and once she was a little older, she landed iconic roles in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Witches of Eastwick, The Right Stuff, and her Saturn Award-winning role as Lambert in Alien. Okay, so, uh, yeah, like I said, the prologue was so short, and it didn't even occur to me we also are doing the two guest things. So, you know how, you know what I think I'll do, uh, Mike, since you already mentioned outro, I guess I guess we're gonna give BC the the intro, and Mike, you can take the outro on this. Sounds good to me. They make a fairly convincing pitch here. It doesn't seem possible, though, to find a woman who must be ten times better than Mother in order to seem half as good, except, of course, in the Twilight Zone. Ooh, that was good. Did you dry your teeth? Yeah, you have to. You have to have the stiff. Uh, dry up her lip in order to in order to fall into the Serling voice. Yes, I, I've been increasingly admitting I do not have a Rod Serling impression. That's why I make other people do it. But uh, <laughs> you know, Mike, if you, you you chase us out with the rest and however you feel like doing it, you could. Yeah. Oh, it's on now. A fable, most assuredly. But who's to say at some distant moment there might be an assembly line producing a gentle product in the form of a grandmother whose stock and trade is love. Fable, sure, but who's to say? Ray Bradbury is to say. I don't know. I just started getting in my head like a uh, <laughs> just started getting in my head like a robot chicken sketch of like Rod Serling impersonations, like competing or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, well, yes, we so just please send to... one if you vote for Mike's impersonation, and send two to vote for Brian's impersonation. We'll take a poll. Or I three, what, if you want to throw in uh, um, uh, Andrew, because he's the one who's always does it. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I was going to throw in that um, you, a different person, but you basically do get that in a Star Trek Lower Decks with the competing Mark Twain impression. So, <laughs> <laughs> do declare. <laughs> <laughs> do declare this episode is a uh, proper sci-fi. I, I guess I don't. Sorry, I'm I'm going more into Falkord like Horn <laughs> as one does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Georgia. I can I should be able to do a uh do a farcorn far farcorn foghorn leghorn. But um did were were either of you guys like 
familiar with this episode because I knew, definitely knew the title. I definitely knew Bradbury had written one. It's if I've seen it before, it didn't stick to the bones, but it would have been like 30 years since I'd seen it. So I, uh, I kind of feel but, the same way. I, I don't think there's any way I could have avoided this, you know, in syndication on WPIX in New York coming on right after Star Trek that I watched pretty much every night from the time I was seven till I was like probably 22. Um, yeah. So I'm sure I've seen it before, but it, it just, honest to God, it didn't really stand out as one I had seen before. And then watching it, I was kind of like, I don't know that I had. I'm pretty sure I had at some point um, in the past, but uh, like you said, it didn't, despite the name uh, the the episode, it wasn't like a heavy hitter in the Twilight Zone sense. It didn't have like some really mind bending twist in the middle of it that make you go, oh yeah, I'm going to remember this one forever. Yeah. So it was a very gentle story. Very well, Bradbury story. <laughs> yeah. I think I was waiting for a stronger twist at the end. I don't know what, I mean, I'm not a writer. I, I'm not wearing the writer's hat for this, but you know, like I, I guess um, one, one thing I did think about is other than Asimov books and maybe a few that Bradbury had written as well. Uh, this is one of the first times on TV we were really getting kind of a uh, a measure of the man sort of look at a you know like with a we'll call it a robot in this case, but with, with the but sound at the end. But uh... <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because because you know when I heard her say robot, you know Asimov famously said pronounce it robot and uh i thought that was that was kind of interesting um but yeah that's sort of at the end where like maybe someday i'll be granted the gate the greatest gift of all which is life and the kids are like oh grandma you've always been alive to us um it was like you know where's that line between you know sentience and you know just machinery and that might have been a question that could have been asked maybe more um overtly in this episode but i think i think it, it i think it was brought up yeah you're exactly right but yeah it's like and at the end it's kind of like oh well, i'm just going back in uh mike maybe it was in your yeah i think it was in your notes almost like oh she's going back into like the collective or into the the yeah AI when she said or something yeah she said i'm going to go into a room with voices with other uh you know robots and we're going to share each other's thoughts and things like that. And I'm like, that's the collective, man. She's going, she's going back into the, uh, the cloud or the collective or back into the database or the, you know, computer electronic processing unit. I think it was, uh, described in modern science magazine, some, something along those lines. And, uh, yeah, I was just sort of envisioning, um, all right, disassembly, but memory goes, gets uploaded and, um, she'll be with, you know, kind of a collective consciousness. I thought that was pretty cool and a little bit uh, way ahead of its time, I'd say. About the uh, robot, robot thing, robot, robot, whichever you're going to say it. Um, apparently that is Anne Francis during the Forbidden Planet press tour kept saying robot and everyone liked her. So everyone else started saying robot, too. <laughs> but robot. Oh, so before that, it was robot. Yeah, robot. She single handedly changed the pronunciation of that word forever. <laughs> Except for, you know, Captain Kirk or something, but yeah. <laughs> He's got his own things to say. Um Brian, did you did you pick up any any of these these threads or want to comment on them? Um 
let's see. Uh, yeah, it's it's how many years out? We we always use kind of Star Trek as a touchstone here. How many years out are we from uh, what what are little girls made of? Right, it was only about you know four, four years down the road. Years. Yeah, yeah, and so this is one of those early portrayals of a fully human looking android on screen except for earlier in the twilight zone when we had the lonely and uh yeah it, it there were um well i had some morals means and message ideas out of this i out of this not so much about the portrayal of a of a robot living with a family which has become kind of a trope we've seen it from um what was the bicentennial man which was an asimov story with robin williams in it i don't know if you guys saw that movie oh, the robin right should apologize yeah be on stage later but mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot of retellings of this sort of story and in fact there's another version of this very same story which i mentioned um in chat a while ago i don't know if you saw it there's a, an 80s uh movie starring i, I saw uh, it and Gene i didn't stapled and i didn't i'm sorry my i didn't put in my trivia but i did spot that uh, but it, it's one of those things where it's like I, I i should watch it later i mean you know back when we did like after hours like well i don't think i should watch the later one i think i should just focus on the, the one we're doing now but uh yeah so so as I, as I was watching this and i was putting my thoughts together for it it reminded me of a sci-fi five episode that i heard that had a similar bradbury story so i kind of started one. looking into that first yeah and it was called the electric grandmother that's and it one. was uh what january 17th 1982 um and you can look that up on the uh sci-fi five podcast and that was a 1982 made for tv film that actually was critically acclaimed acclaimed and won some awards for best television programming and things like that so it was uh it was a freaky little film with edward herman and maureen stapleton and uh, mm -hmm. i just watched and, it last night and i sure i saw it before but i've watched it again and i remembered the sci-fi five episode of course um yeah 42 years ago this week that thing premiered yeah and, I, uh, I watched it uh today on it's on youtube <laughs> yeah it's in, on youtube in, i would yeah. suggest people check it out because it's it's weird it's like part after school special and kind of part uh amazing stories spielberg amazing stories vibes sort of like yeah. 80s sort of weird uh it was just very strange and, and there's apparently a lot of split opinions on it as to whether it was a much beloved you look in the youtube people love it but people other people were creeped out about it too they said it's got a night nightmare fuel they had from when they were in elementary school and being forced to watch this movie because they i think that 16 millimeter prints of it that were going around the schools and they were watching it in class and this yeah, it's like, produced by something like the learning corporate the the learning education yeah. corporation of america or something the american learning corporation of america um and it was <laughs> it was very kind of very uh a little bizarre you know the one the one sort of i don't i, I wouldn't say twist but more of like a denouement or a uh sort of like po uh epilogue that the that the film had that the that this episode did not was that uh you know the kids um who weren't tom karen and ann they they were as two boys and a girl in the film uh, or in the after school special uh they grew up and they were actually accomplished but they were old and they were able to get uh grandma out of the literal room with other retired grandmas and re-employ that robot to take care of them in their old age which was you know kind of a neat yeah, it was really a little, twist, little odd sort of, i thought yeah, sort of a nice send-off reuse reuse recycle sure 
exactly yeah. but the, uh, the the kids in that movie and i know we're digressing from the episode here a little bit but the kids in the movie apparently they have families of their own because the thing you would expect to happen is one or more of them would have children and they would bring her back to be their grandma you know and so on and so on in this case they're kind of more like she's gonna like be caretaker of this old folks home of three kids <laughs> it was kind of a little same odd. house yeah <laughs> it was same a little house. odd I mean, well, it was no budget. That was had to be the same house. It, yeah. <laughs> it was just so strange. <laughs> they never moved out of town. I don't know. Um, one that kept going through my mind, I, of course, I, I didn't watch Electric Grandma. I do think I saw it in the 80s, like you guys said. I think it was one of those things they just showed everywhere, and you caught it at some point, if I remember. Um, like maybe I was homesick from school, and it was like 10 in the morning, and they were showing on PBS, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but I was thinking a lot also about Mary Poppins from three years later. This, like, I several parts in this episode, I kind of expected it to burst into song. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought the salesman was going to start doing a song about how they build the robots, or you know, at the beginning, I thought the kids were going to sing or something. And there were several times when there was like a pregnant pause, and I was just like, here's where the song starts. It would work, man. It would work. It would work with, you know, dad heartfelt song of loss and love loss of love you know loss of his wife and his love for the kids because you know his performance the dad's performance was very good he was like when he was like love you don't need you get plenty of that from me you know what you need is basically logistics um but it was i thought that was very very well acted and his you know concern and his patience for the kid so had he broken into a very heartfelt song of of loss and love about his family i think that would have fit i think the the kind of eerie um what was it facsimile limited facsimile limited was the name of the corporation Mm -hmm. the salesman for that company i think could have broken into song with you know talking about body parts that you yeah, can yeah. use your ears really and here's your eyes and here's your nose and here's, yeah <laughs> and i think it i think it would have done great there would have been a uh you know something similar to a uh spoonful of sugar however yeah, that song goes medicine go down that's right yeah uh I could, have, could have been very very well done i have to confess i did not uh, the, the mary poppins uh parallel did not come into my head <laughs> but it's a yeah the magical nanny is exactly what an electric grandma is so mm-hmm. right so Makes who's creepier sense. the electric grandmother or uh mary poppins <laughs> you know i i thought i thought the electric grandmother meaning this, back this, to the twilight zone I'm now talking about the twilight zone version, <laughs> just, just to be clear to everybody mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know yeah. back, back back to the twilight zone the the uh the electric grandmother was fantastic I thought she showed patience and grace. I thought, uh, you know, her time with Anne, where she listened um, and tried to build trust and didn't lay down ultimatums and tried to seek why Anne was so upset and made her say, you know, made her, you know, understand the gravity of, of say out loud. The reason she was upset was because her mom left her because she's dead and she's afraid that, you know, everybody would leave her at that point like that was some phenomenal you know like just just graduate level grandma you know uh dis- display of of skills i i thought it was i thought it was just great i really did in fact it reminded me a lot of um if you guys remember the 1970s tv series family with Seda thompson um uh meredith baxter bernie 
and Christy McNichol, that series. The mom, mm-hmm. played by Seda Thompson, actually won an Emmy for Best uh, Performance by a Female Lead. Um, reminded me very much of that same character. And and I, I actually looked at it. It was about a 15-year difference. But I looked it up just to see if it was maybe. Yeah, some people just play older than they really are. And I thought maybe it was the same actress, but it it, it was not. But it, I thought... I th- I thought the electric grandmother in this episode uh, was not creepy at all. I thought she was just flat out wonderful. Hey, Mary Poppins. I like okay. Josephine too. Yes. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, I first I, I saw Mary Poppins for the first time last year, and I was like, we we kind of came to the uh, the the end of thought that she seems a little insidious here, you know. <laughs> Which yes, <laughs> this one. You're kind of expecting like a little bit of a, a black mirror technology going wrong by, but here it's not a no, no, electric grandma work. She does her job. She doesn't seem to mind when it's back to the uh, shop for whatever reason, which that's a little weird, but uh, from a modern perspective, but you know, it's, I guess, clean storytelling for 1962. Yeah. You know, and, and you could think of, of all of the things that, um, you know, that they could have done that they didn't. And I respect, I respect the, this, episode for not going there because they could have ended with well i don't want to go away you know i want to be alive i want to stay alive i want to have a purpose um and really kind of throwing in a lot of moral gray area there um but i think it was just a i think it was just a great um sort of ending and the truth is is that there i mean gosh there there is a circle of life and I don't know why all three kids were going to college at the same time. That that kind of confused me a little bit too. It's time for all three of you to go to college. Okay, did you two wait for the last one? Just so never mind. Um, but but they did, and it was it was sort of time to move on to the next phase of life. And I think that's a much healthier uh way to wrap things up than to try to hang on to the previous phase of life. Yeah, I I recently, like three years ago, by recently, three or four years ago, did read through the most of Asimov books. I uh-huh. do think that had a better grasp on, you know, thinking about robots than maybe Bradbury. Bradbury does have a lighter touch. And um, in the Twilight Zone, too, we just had the trade-ins, which is one that was, you know, ready to go and be a Black Mirror episode uh, a, a few years early, but also ended up being kind of weirdly sweet in the end the other shoe didn't drop and i i wonder if, yeah it's kind of interesting and and, just to, and then like, you know the other thing that that i think would probably get done today if it wasn't you know for that you know sentient ai question would have been you know some malfunction right or some weird attachment so you've got movies like her uh where joaquin phoenix famously became you know uh fell in love with his uh ai friend and um this episode but uh i think it was i think it was i think it was pretty clean i was wondering if there was going to be any kind of like malfunction though where you know they all become to think of this person or think of think of grandma as a real person and then it sort of pulls the rug out from under them showing that she's not um but that didn't happen either and i you know for a, a, a nice little tight 30 minute episode i think it was i think it was nice the way it was Something I didn't touch on much in this episode is I think uh, maybe what exactly happened with mom. I kind of started to get the impression that mom committed suicide from what dad was saying. 
And I didn't write. Yeah, that's not really spelled out. Yeah. I, you know, note about that's like 75% of the episode. So something later on was starting to give me those vibes, I think. Maybe the girls. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say I I didn't pick up on that, but but I'm not nearly as as, uh, um, you know, uh, intelligent. I don't my emotional intelligence is not as high as yours is mad um so yeah if you picked up on something like that it's interesting i i know in the the subsequent film it was it was not really spelled out either yeah i was gonna say that and but the, the fact that the girl keeps going on that she you know mom left us it made it almost sound like you could read suicide into that because it's like a choice so maybe she made that choice but we don't know why or what happened to her but yeah, she, it's kind of left pretty vague in, in both cases. But interesting choice of words, it. you know? Mm-hmm. Interesting choice of words. I, I yeah, I think to... there's... Go ahead. I, I was going to say, yeah, Matt, I think I think there's something to that. I think I think whatever you picked up on them might, you know, uh, I'm sure it has it has merit. I was going to say I have some, uh, some lighter observations, too, here. Um, Darren's boss there. I apologize if I've already forgotten the actor's name, but uh, great yeah. Caesar's ghost. Yeah, <laughs> well, I just I have in my notes their father is a mustached uh, Harry Kissinger, and then uh, in parentheses I put R I H. You know, so that, that that's that's a rest in hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know what the R I H meant, but yeah, as opposed to R I P. Okay, yeah, that makes well, that's that makes what sense. that means. All right, thank you. That, that it reminds me that I. I just watched rewatched uh one of the episodes of the Orville where um uh Charlie's Throne guest starred as Priya Levesque and uh Ed Mercer looked at her and he goes, Well, I got a pretty good idea where you can go. And she was like, Where? He was like, To hell. She's like, Is that a place I should know about? <laughs> so it was kind of thing like when I was, <laughs> when I was thinking R.I.P. and it said R.I.H., I was like, Yeah, I probably should have put those things together, but I was just about as clueless as poor uh, Captain Priya Levesque was in. I, I don't. I don't think <laughs> was it's on the normal Orville. nomenclature. So, um, <laughs> just make that up. Yeah, I will say. Uh, I did since I was already expecting songs when when Robo Grandma gets run over by the mail truck. I got the song Grandma got run over by a mail truck playing in the back of my head. Oh, dude, I I wrote a couple of lines. Like I wrote some lines to that. I was like, Grandma got run over by a Dodge van walking out from Han, uh, Ann's house one fine eve. You can say you don't believe in robots, but Ann and Tom and Karen, they believe. Okay, good. You took it much farther than I did. <laughs> Oh my, because they're one stop shop for all the lyrical needs of the show from now on. We'll just so she uh man, but it was funny because you know that she did the the push, you know, the push and from out in front of that van, and then she just kind of like laid on the ground, right? And then you and then I was like, okay, so she laid on the ground. That couldn't have hurt that bad. But then you see the truck in front of her in the next scene, and I'm like, oh, she got ran over by a Dodge van. The <laughs> Dodge Jam works better in mail truck. I should have thought of that. Okay. It's <laughs> only so much you could show on TV in this era or even today. Yeah. Because really and I didn't I didn't notice that till the second my second viewing of it. I thought she just kind of like dove on the ground and everybody thought she was dead and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> and and I know no. the robot's probably not all that expensive because um you know your guy, uh, mustachioed Harry Kissinger. Um, not only could he afford, um, Seda Thompson, not Seda Thompson. Not only could he afford, 
the electron the electric grandma but he could also afford a new lincoln continental with suicide doors which is a pretty badass ride so um if he's got enough money for both he's either killing it or he's uh or maybe uh facsimile limited has very affordable payment plans yeah well he's also got life insurance <laughs> get life insurance on the wife i hope I so mean, oh no, i hadn't thought of that angle either <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice house so you assume he i mean they don't say what his job is i guess but you assume it's probably something a touch it, upscale it i think so because he was i think that's probably the crux of you know why he was working so much now they called that woman aunt she had a weird name right the, the the first one or uh, yeah the the bossy aunt that came by to to Dedra. i'm not i'm not happy at all i am not happy at all at all with how things are going that's aunt nedra nedra yeah so i'm thinking whose aunt the the deceased wife's aunt i bet that would be or well that was the thing i, I maybe because i was already thinking mary poppins i actually was like thinking she was just a nanny and not a relation yeah, no, I mean, or they called her a sister or a sibling of yeah. the parents, or if she was yeah. an aunt of the parents, I don't remember. Yeah, they called her Aunt Nedra, which was kind of a, a weird name. And then that character shows up in the other movie, too, so it confused me. <laughs> yeah, and I think <laughs> in that in, in that one, she was Aunt, like, Aunt Carla or something was her. Aunt Clara, I think. And Clara, the, yeah, it was Clara. Yeah, yeah. weird. Uh, yeah, just, just a couple little 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 minor differences. Um but yeah that uh that lincoln was definitely definitely sweet um any other uh what this, this should have had like a um a commercial for for the lincoln continental at the end of the episode instead of the the normal psa that would have been fun i i do wish oh. he's had the advertisement sometimes that'd be so fun to watch now you know it, it, it that would be fun i mean it, it really i was I, I went down this youtube rabbit hole the other day where i just started watching you know shows from 40 years ago like they were complete with their commercial breaks so they were basically like recorded on vcr and then uploaded digitally and i was just like i don't remember everything being so flat out awful back then but my gosh that is that's not good <laughs> i like to watch <laughs> talking SCT. mostly about the ads <laughs> yeah i like to watch sctv on uh, on my my ipad late at night sometimes on youtube yeah it's it's clearly someone taped them like in the late eighties from uh, uh -huh. West, West Palm Beach TV, because sometimes the ads are there, <laughs> and it's kind of disappointing when they're not. And the fun thing is, since it's SCTV, which is already like weird fake television, there's yeah barely a line to cross. It's just like the slight bit of irony <laughs> is taken away. It's basically the same thing when it goes into the advertisements. <laughs> so I, I do like that um what else do i got oh i just uh i put my notes i thought the the sales shop was kind of a reverse apple store where everything was black and hard yeah to i it was it was interesting so i, I kind of i kind of pictured myself like okay you walk in and everything's dark so what's the first thing all of us are going to do right pull out your phone and turn on flashlight mode um but you can't you know, you're not walking around with a flashlight in 1962. So, although the old man probably had one in his car, whatever he had before the Lincoln, we don't know what he drew. Well, we did see it out there. It kind of looked like a 1960 something to me. Um, I was thinking it was year. like a 60 Catalina Bonneville, something like that. A lot of people traded him in every year, every other year back then. Uh, but no flashlight. So they had to kind of deal with the creepy, 
the very creepy presentation where the first thing he shows is the eyeballs. He's like, okay, let's start with, and the kid's like, oh, cool, man. These look like the marbles I play with. <laughs> Most kids would turn around and run out the door at that point. But, oh, wait, the door closed behind them. It was this weird future door that just materializes and dematerializes that was my first sign like oh this place is going to be weird <laughs> but but at, you know as as i'm kind of inclined to do um is you know when i watch stuff like this i i, I try to think of it in light of like okay what can i learn that i can you know use in my daily life and one of the things that i saw was you know Anne ran out upset dad went with her the other kids just just picked out their new grandma on their own right eyes hair color body voice that first Mm -hmm. voice was tough that last voice was better than the first voice but still not right but they finally got the goldilocks voice right but anyway they pick out this this grandma on their own they're just throwing parts down the chute it's heading to the factory no supervision right the 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 salesman's just thinking cha-ching 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 and you know i think the the root of the problem or you know i I don't think it lasted very long but the reason why ann had such a hard time accepting this person was because there was no buy-in right or the she wasn't there i'm sorry that or the wall of ears (laughs) (laughs) the wall wall of ears might have freaked her out was that more creepy than the wall of eyes i don't know the wall (laughs) of ears that wall of ears just reminded me of okay where did they get the ears and then i'm thinking okay we we didn't really get into vietnam yet so it wasn't there um it was like i just didn't i was freaked i was freaked out by the wall of ears Um, they got them from there (laughs) yeah they they got them from mash uh which we all know is korea anyway (laughs) <laughs> the thing I was thinking of when these kids were throwing the parts in the bin is who's to say they're going to throw the right number of parts? You could have had a total Frankenstein monster with three eyes and four arms coming off the other side. You never know. Because they you couldn't never know. choose. Oh, just Maybe pick some... one eye of every color. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think 1962, there was a whole lot of quality control going on in uh, in U.S. factories yet, right? That had yet just, to be... Could've... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> things could have gone terribly wrong right at that point. But... Yeah, we didn't have Deming and, and Jung and people like that. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, get some buy-in from the whole team. If you want some, if you want a project to be successful, you know, make sure everybody, including, and especially the most staunch um, objectors, right? The people that are most against the project, get them involved early and get their buy-in if you want it to be successful. Yeah, my, my notes in the store, I'll just read them since we're into it. But uh, <laughs> Well, the red flags just keep popping up in this business. Um Hey, buddy, you want an eyeball? I thought that would be like the pitch, you know? Uh, <laughs> mentioned the wall of ears and things are not getting less creepy as we go. I think that's once they're like going through bins and stuff. I'm like, okay, it's not getting less creepy. So, of course, it's not really, I guess it's not that creepy in the end. They, they, they build a grandma. <laughs> yeah, you know, not too, not too old, not too young, not too big, not too small. Uh, voice just right. Um yeah and they uh they got it right but man um you know karen and uh, of course karen and uh tom not not a lot of uh not a lot of sympathy not a lot of uh not a lot of grace offered to young Anne with the problems that she was having aren't siblings terrible to each other i don't know i'm an only child but <laughs> was Anne the youngest or the oldest i think she i Judging for her height, I don't know. I thought she was the oldest in the Yeah, I thought she was the oldest, but yeah. I mean, you know. Because in the electric grandmother, she's the youngest. So they reverse it. Right. I I teach groups of kids, and sometimes the younger ones are 
horrible to the older ones. What's fun in Japan is also um, sometimes the kids look exactly the same, but they're different ages. So sometimes if they're not right next to each other, like they're five years old and seven years old. So if they're not next to each other, I don't know which one this is sometimes. <laughs> all right. I don't know if you want to cut this out, but I think you've just gone on record as saying all Japanese kids look alike. No, no. Families <laughs> look alike. That's what I'm saying. Families look alike. <laughs> That's true. There, There is definitely a, a family resemblance. And, and there is uh, there is a stronger thing in Japan where like the kids in a family do really do look alike. <laughs> Let's see, guys. Uh, since rivals. you can't see, Matt is turning beet red right now, and I, I apologize. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. And there's one kid where I actually thought he had a brother because I just thought he was older than he was, but he wasn't. He's just small. <laughs> you know, and the other thing is, is that, you know, um, that whole two against one thing, right? You put three people in a situation, and I don't want to say invariably, but but often it seems like the dynamic becomes, you know, odd man out odd person out so uh i think there there ends up being that dynamic in a three-person crew or three-person team or three siblings or you know just uh pick any kind of threesome you want to talk about i don't know maybe uh some kind of no. other threesome i haven't even thought of <laughs> uh before i get to the questions i guess i'll open the floor to any any final random observations random meaning they could be quite good but <laughs> well, I, I, I had two points I wanted to get into. One was, um, uh, the, okay, I alluded to the moral meaning, the message of this episode is that, um, how, what does it say about grief and dealing with death? I mean, it seems like the solution is find an immortal surrogate for your dead relative and you'll be fine. And I'm not sure if that's really a good message or is it, well, she just needed a little help and she needed someone to, you know, take over the maternal role in her life to uh to finally come to terms with it we kind of skip her childhood you know we, we we she goes from that point at the beginning to an adult leaving at the end and we don't really see how she processes her mother's death and so it, it kind of left a strange taste in my mouth it's like is this really a happy ending or is she going to have more problems later on in life when she has to deal with other other sad situations like her father's death for instance i feel like one i know what you guys thought of that just being i mean i can't think of too many things before this considering that you can replace your loved ones with technology like predating this what do we, i mean do the 50s have anything like that and i feel like before world war ii that wouldn't even be a thought like technology just wasn't mm -hmm. really to the point mm -hmm. you know at best you're going to have a brass automation that you can see at the uh 39 world's fair or something you know right yeah I, I can't name anything you know the the thing that came to mind for me is as my last sort of you know not random thought but you know takeaway is that uh and i don't know that this was really being thought about or talked about in 1962 but families do come in all shapes and sizes right we have blended families now that's much more of an issue now it definitely seemed to be recognized maybe a little bit later in 1960s sitcoms with uh you know all the blended families we we saw later on bunch. but <laughs> exactly um <clears throat> but families do come in shapes and sizes and in different shapes and sizes and when you're trying to get to know each other just you know offer that grace and empathy and listen and try to get to try to get to know the other folks first before you start to issue judgment um and ultimatums to each other you know try to listen build that trust be patient 
And over time, because it takes time, you can learn to become a family and learn to trust and have that love and that relationship grow over time. And I think that's what uh, um, the uh, electric grandmother did so so wonderfully with Anne. Uh, Brian, you said you had one more. Yeah, um, just like to touch on the this this point um, is the fact that um, we're talking about Ray Bradbury, and he was a get for the show, but it was a long time coming. Um, I was just picking up the good old, you know, Twilight Zone Companion a while ago and reading newer material where Mark Sacree mentioned an interview that um, there was kind of a falling out between Bradbury and Serling. I think it was the fact that Serling came to Bradbury early on wanting to, you know, do the Twilight Zone, but recognizing he didn't have the sci-fi chops. And I think Bradbury apparently uh, got the impression that, you know, um, Serling was kind of mildly plagiarizing his <laughs> him a little bit in some of the plots of some of his earlier episodes bore resemblance to Bradbury. So that might explain why we only ever got this one story written by him. But Bradbury was, uh, um, if not a mentor, then, you know, definitely an influence on Charles Beaumont, George Clayton Johnson. Um, missing the third one in that triad uh uh richard matheson definitely they were like friends so bradbury has a very strong influence on the twilight zone uh you know behind the scenes but he's just never come to the fore before and then sadly this is the only time we're going to see him do it um but i just thought it was you know important to recognize that uh, we don't there might not be a twilight zone without ray bradbury so. um Without quite responding yet, I actually want to get into the questions to, to make my response. Um, <laughs> uh, the first question, of course, being who in this episode went in or through the Twilight Zone? Bill, Mike. I, I kind of feel like this was the most non-Twilight Zone episode of the Twilight Zone we've ever covered. It was, mm -hmm. it was honestly just, I mean, with the Twilight Zone, there's normally something kind of metaphysical you're dealing something that would be considered uh, otherworldly as far as like another plane of existence or or some sort of mystical quality that we couldn't encounter and with this and maybe it's just the difference of you know 62 years having gone by um but what i saw in this episode seemed plausible and it seemed nice and there really wasn't much of a twist at the end um it was just kind of a straight straightforward story of how technology in the future might make our lives better and i i'm gonna kind of say nobody went through the twilight zone <laughs> In these instances, I would say the audience went into the Twilight Zone because the whole episode is, was its own world, right? It was a kind of an alternate reality where these technologies were existed and could be used. And so they either already accepted that it was something they could do or surprised that it existed. You can say that the shop was, you know, a magical shop that appeared on the corner one day and then disappeared the next and only affected that one family. But we're not given to believe that. But then again, the budget wasn't big enough that we could see 
dozens of households with dozens of grandmas around the neighborhood they couldn't show it so now that that so like yeah. a typical now and i don't want to say a typical twilight zone episode but but something more twilight zone-esque i would say would be something's going on with the grandma dad runs back to the store it's not there it doesn't exist right Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, yeah and so just since there really wasn't anything like that i like your big picture thinking though of you know the the audience went through there that's 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 uh Really quite, my quite clever to that question. That, that's okay, man. That's uh, I like I, I like things because you know what's sci-fi, right? It's to me good sci-fi. Sci-fi is done well when it looks at you know human issues from a global perspective. And what's more global than what you just said? So kudos to you, sir. But uh, Mike, I was basically going to agree with you and say nobody went to the Twilight Zone. It's like basically a family drama plus a little possible technology, and that's uh to respond to what you said earlier bc um maybe that's why this is the only bradbury script like is he a big influence on this stuff yeah he's a you know seminal sci-fi writer but maybe he didn't really write so much with the grit that a non-comedy twilight zone episode usually needs like because mm -hmm. several were rejected they might have just been missing the the special sauce for the show even well you also script. mentioned he also met no BC mentioned some some possible light plagiarizing. So maybe those scripts got submitted and came out of something else. <laughs> that could also be the case. But yeah, there does, like you said, this doesn't quite seem to be a Twilight Zone episode, even though Rod tells us it's the Twilight Zone at the beginning, you know? Not to That's take true. away from it, but just yeah, it's so um, that almost takes away my um second question. But we we can make it worthwhile and uh wonder if grandma deserves her fate to go rejoin the collective you you can see her in a board gener regenerating thing at the end of the episode that'd be a good last shot for this if, if they knew that existed <laughs> or a room full of knitting grandmas which is how they portrayed it in the 82 in the 81 version <laughs> regenerating a board cube knitting grandmas that's what you want <laughs> instead of borg it's 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 rocking chairs yeah okay. it's the same idea. <laughs> it is you know she she mentioned being possibly you know a couple of different things one, one of which she mentioned was being disassembled and her parts being used to make other grandmas but don't worry because your memories my memories will always exist um i it's probably unless they're selling unless like facsimile limited is you know gotten into the business of you know lightly used grandmas um they're probably gonna have to do that right because who would go out there what are the odds of somebody going out there picking you know same body type same voice same eyes same hair length you know all those things that that the kids all those parts the kids threw down the bin yeah um it's like so in the showroom she came into the showroom she saw return yeah so i think i think grandma's <laughs> destined to be um probably recycled back into the parts bin um but those memories, man, and and I think that was key. Those memories will live on forever, and that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thing. That's kind of a cool legacy. Yeah, I, I guess just from a more modern perspective, like we take our, like we take some synthetic things, I guess, more seriously now. You know, so it almost yeah, it seems like garbage binning it. I mean, I still have a phone and an iPad sitting here that I just haven't gotten rid of and you know they have no feelings that i know of so 
if they're, they're probably listening to me and, and fuming if they do. Oh uh, yeah, I think I got one over here too. Here's, a, here's an old phone. So so Brian, did you? Uh, I never answered the question, so I'll just. Did did you do you feel like any? I guess I guess we'll just say anybody deserved their trip through the twilight zone. Is that right, Matt? Well, yeah. Well, deserve is a two-edged sword. I mean, deserve it in a good sense or deserve it in like a punitive sense. That's what I think often put it like, and, you know, the devil came and took his soul at the end, you know, sort of thing. It's not <laughs> like that at all. Um, I think the kids got what they needed from her. I think she did her job well. I think she's got, you know, some sort of job security, I guess, maybe, who knows, in some form or another in terms of her memory. Um, yeah, it was, it was a happy ending. So I think... Um, no one deserved to be um um rung through the ringer of you know a twilight zone a twist ending it was uh it was all pretty lighthearted and and it was very pleasant so let's uh yeah, I, I i would i would say you know i mean as a dad i think i probably could relate you know and i'm if i was a child that lost you know lost their mom i, I might be in that position but i didn't that wasn't me um so the closest person i could probably relate to is the dad and he loved those kids man he he really did and he came up with a with a with an answer you know that wasn't perfect but it it worked and um you know if that's if if he got what he deserved by you know being dedicated to his family and you know finding a way to keep his kids together and not having the evil aunt Nedra take them away. Then I think, uh, I think he got what he deserved, which was keeping his family intact and, you know, raising kids that by all accounts, by everything we got to see on screen grew up to be, you know, healthy, well-adjusted, you know, people. So that leads us to where we put this one on the tripometer. Zero is not trippy at all. Five is very trippy. I would pretty, pretty pretty low, like I was alluding to. It's just such a gentle tale. It doesn't really have, um, I mean, yeah, the idea of a robot living with your family is in some sense trippy, but it's uh, <laughs> for, for 1962. Um, but, yeah, it was just, everything about it was just so, you know, at ease. It was not, um, it was not mind-bending in any significant way to me so yeah it it i, I would say the you know sort of sort of a one-ish um just just for the advanced technology you know and 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 again there's you know no limit to the imagination um i think we're i think what we saw watching this in 2024 is maybe maybe less awe-inspiring than how it looked in 1962 um it probably seemed much more um you know much more you know had more maybe more of a wow factor maybe more of a um otherworldliness to it than what we have now so i think that would account for um the trippiness of it so you know i think i'll and i you know i'm, I'm probably way out of my depth here to try to imagine what people in 1962 were thinking, especially when they're reading, you know, magazines like modern science um, that, 
you know, maybe one point seven five. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in your general range. I I was thinking it's. Well, I thought it's a two. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a one. Oh no, it's a two. Like, I'll give a point just for that store. <laughs> uh, the store was was a properly trippy sequence. Uh, with the rest of the episode really not being that, but which it doesn't have to be. I mean, Tripometer again is not a quality rating. Uh, it's, it's a well-made episode. Um, well, my last note was okay. I said it's pretty good, but a shade away from catching fire. There's there's no fire in this episode. I guess would be the my criticism if i had one. oh i would amend it slightly i might say grandma's hands deserve maybe a two or 2.5 because they're like replicators just anything can pop out of her hands oh, yeah, <laughs> that was the trippiest part talk to the hand she does that a lot <laughs> no no the <laughs> she, hand talks to you she's pouring coffee with her fingers you have all that weird stuff <laughs> okay yeah that, that, that was a little weird but uh, again that's not so pertinent to the story so it's kind of just off to the side almost yeah yeah i've just said the hands only <laughs> The, the store stuck with me, I guess. So that's that's where my little extra bit. Of yeah, the store was trippy. I, it is. Yeah, I think the wall of ears is what's going to stick with me, despite all those eyeballs. I don't know. <laughs> the store was trippy, and okay, yeah, he he got the he saw the advertisement in the magazine. Um, Modern Science, real real magazine. Anybody know? Or he might have ended up with sea monkeys. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he meant to order the sea monkeys. Um, I guess we'll wind this one down, but uh, Mike, what's going on in in your world? You know, we're uh, you know waiting on uh, hopefully a release date of season four of the Orville. Um, Seth was on a uh, not our show the other day, but he was on um, a different podcast, and he said we're working on it, which was all that that came up, but nothing on that yet. Um, chatting with folks at the network. There's a possibility of sort of covering other shows in the meantime, um, other kind of, I'll just say Star Trek adjacent shows, um, uh, kind of centering around maybe people that worked on Star Trek at one point and then moved on to other things and to see if any of that Star Trek DNA went with them, which is kind of how we, how we, we settled on the Orville to cover that first um because all, while seth mcfarland did do two episodes as ensign rivers on star trek enterprise it was really the star trek dna that brandon braga and joe minoski and and marvin rush and and other folks uh the akutas um brought to the orville that that really kind of gave it that that real sense of of star trek um feel that went out there uh, that that had that uh that pedigree with it so um kind of following in that there are many many other shows that have um been produced in the last 20 30 40 years that that are very um heavy with uh star trek alums uh producing those so we might start to look at some of those things going forward while we're waiting for season four all righty as for us we do a lot of podcasts you can support us on Patreon. Podcastio, Podcastio. So that is our jam where we do this time of podcast. Uh, you'll get episodes early with a little extra chatter. Uh, we talk about really good movies and really bad movies on films and filth, which uh, both of you guys occasionally pop up on, uh, as well as Podcast 1999, where we are covering Space 1999 and video games with Lucas, Pokemon, Hyrule Field Report, 
and game game show. Brian, I assume that that our plug is basically your plug at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I hang my shingle these days, I guess. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, well, uh, yeah. Go. What 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 kind of grandma are you gonna get? Mm. Lightly used grandma. Um, I don't know. Gray hair, blue eyes, the typical grandma. I don't think we're getting that <laughs> on this one. I'm just thinking I'd like go through the, I'd go down the line and be like, it's not a grandma. <laughs> hey, don't judge. <laughs> Rissa Tomei, Aunt May, does that count as a grandma? It used to be a grandma. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 